Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's preview day as we break down the matchup with the Atlanta Falcons this Sunday at Hard Rock Stadium. We'll go position by position, get your key data, talk about the film I watched this week. We'll look at the keys, how the Dolphins will win this game, and we'll kick off the week seven picks tonight with Thursday night football. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And so the Dolphins will attempt to right the ship after a tough 1-5 start to the season. And a familiar foe, you might say, how, is that, how are they familiar, Travis, will come back to Hard Rock Stadium after their trip back in August for a pair of joint practices and an eventual 37-17 exhibition victory for Miami in the building across the street from me right now. And the Falcons didn't play their starters in that game, and the Miami Dolphins found their rhythm offensively in that contest, and so did the defense too. But of course, it'll be a lot different this time around, as the Falcons are an interesting study coming into this game as we start every preview podcast here, taking a look at the opposition, how they got to this point, where they are in their organizational build and foundation, all that fun stuff. And we start here with a team that was one quarter away from a championship just six years ago, 28-3, blew that lead in the Super Bowl, have had some tough times since then, not able to replicate that success or really anything close to it. And the interesting aspect of it all to me is that the quarterback has been the same through it all. How many quarterbacks survive multiple rebuilds? And I think the talent of Matt Ryan is the reason why he has. And he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL over the last 15 years. I think one of the most criminally underrated quarterbacks throughout the course of his career, but we'll come back to that. Since that heartbreaking Super Bowl loss, Atlanta returned to the postseason just once the following season with a divisional round exit after a victory in the wild card round to the upstart Los Angeles Rams and Sean McVay. And that was coming off a 10-win season after the 11-win season resulted in a Super Bowl appearance for Atlanta. They followed that up with a pair of seven-win seasons before really bottoming out last year at 4-12, which ultimately cost Dan Quinn his job and resulted in Arthur Smith getting the job this year. But even those seven-win seasons the two years prior occurred in a way where despite the fact that they ultimately finished just a couple games shy of the postseason, it was over pretty quickly. In 2018, they began the season 1-4, got back to 4-4, four and four, but then fell to 4-9. and nine. And in 2019, they started 1-7, and seven, and in the 4-12 and 12 campaign last year, they began the season 0-5. Oh so slow starts have plagued this Falcons team, but this has been the time of the year where they start to get things kind of going a little bit. And that's going to be critical to keep an eye on do they get the offensive weapons going like they should on this Falcons offense is the defense going to bounce back and play a little bit better football here down the stretch and that's also kind of been the trajectory of this Dolphins team the last couple of years right so an interesting matchup here Sunday as Arthur Smith brings his team to Hard Rock Stadium let's get into it starting where we always start with the opposing quarterback And those training camp practices back in August were a nice example of two guys with PhDs in football 
doing battle. Matt Ryan talked about Brian Flores texting with him, or it was a phone call, I can't recall, about joking about drawing up some new stuff for him since Matty Ice has seen everything this game has to offer. And there was plenty of that in those practices. Remember that two-minute period where Emmanuel Ogba had back-to-back sacks and another pressure that forced Ryan to throw the football away? The Dolphins brought the heat in that practice. But there were also a handful of times where Ryan threw under the face of pressure to spots and made the blitzing Dolphins defense pay for it. That was a fun couple of practices and a good chess match back and forth between those two. But how does how do those numbers bear out for a game that actually counts in the standings? Well, against the Blitz this year, Matt Ryan's efficiency, like most good quarterbacks, goes up. But he's more prone to the turnover. All three of his interceptions this season have come when the opposition sends an extra rusher in his face. And to incorporate the Miami safety play here, you guys know how impressed I've been with Javon Holland throughout the course of really his tenure here since getting back, arriving back in April. And I think his range is already very impressive and the ability to disguise will only continue to get better each week as we see him get more work and more experience and more seasoning. And that play in the Jacksonville game to drive on that broken play with a Lawrence scramble on the other side of the formation, man, that was just beautiful. And looking at Matt Ryan's passing chart, particularly 20 plus yards, his only completions in that range come right down the middle of the field, which typically suggests two high beaters, right? To cover two beaters with the two high safeties, or not cover two, but just having two safeties up high on the formation. And you run that tight end of your slot right down the seam, and then Ryan's certainly adept enough to recognize that matchup quick enough to get the ball into that difficult location before they can rotate and react. And think about Tua's pass to Durham Smythe this past Sunday. Quick stand up and throw it right over the top of the linebackers who would be the pipe runner in the old classic Tampa 2 where you had your two safeties kind of split wide and then you run that linebacker down the pipe. But you can't do that so much in today's NFL because there's too much speed in the receiving game. But you beat the safeties with the quickness of the release and throw the football early to make that happen. In fact, the Falcons average 5.55 yards per play against two high looks and 4.97 yards per play against single high looks. And I think that jives with the strength of their offense, which takes us into our next matchup. But real quick here, Ryan is three for six with 102 yards passing and a touchdown down the middle, 20 plus yards beyond the line of scrimmage. And then outside the numbers to the left, 0 for two and right outside the numbers, 0 for four. So 0 for six combined there and a total of three of 12 throwing 20 or more yards down the field. That's a stat that I think Miami has to maintain in this game because the options they have in the horizontal game and that intermediate portion of the field with Corderell Patterson and Kyle Pitts, it's really challenging to defend those guys. Which brings us into the Falcons receivers and tight ends versus the Dolphins cornerbacks. And Patterson, he's listed as a running back now. And he was one of my biggest draft crushes back in 2013 even though he was one of the most prolific return men in the history of the National Football League the last several years, can I maybe finally celebrate a victory on him as a draft nick eight years after the fact, (laughs) even though it didn't work in Minnesota as a receiver? But he's got 41 catches on the season and 25 carries. So he lines up in the backfield, but he catches the football a ton. Four of his five touchdowns have come on the, or through the air, I should say, with one on the ground. And he's got just 4.2 yards per rush as a ball carrier and 11.8 yards per catch as a receiver. I thought this guy was going to be a big play vertical receiver coming out, but he's found his niche here with the Falcons and Arthur Smith. And he dictates a lot of what they do as he's used on motion so frequently, which obviously helps Ryan get his pre-snap indicators for the coverage, what the defense might do to rotate. But he's so much more than that. 
He's effective in the screen game. He's valuable on jet sweeps and pop passes. He can straight up take carries and run behind wide zone or duo. I mean, he's truly one of the most versatile players in the National Football League. And I think he creates this conflict between playing base and sub when he's on the field. And that obviously helps Matt Ryan decide whether or not he wants to run the ball or pass it, depending on his checks or depending on his matchups. And the other weapon I think you focus on most, it's not a receiver, it's a tight end. How many teams are tight end slash running back driven offensively? Unique for sure, though I thought the most prevalent instance of Pitts and Patterson-led offense was in the absence of Calvin Ridley, who missed the last Falcons game for personal reasons, but he's back. So I want to start with Kyle Pitts first, though. Matchup nightmare. We talked about this all draft season long, right? He can post guys up. He can run routes like a receiver. He can attack leverage. He has quickness on the two-way goes to make you pay for that. He's just a very, very skilled player. One of four players that I thought were just significantly different than the rest of the class in terms of those skill players with Waddle, Smith, Chase, and Pitts. But he had his coming out party in London in that game that Ridley did not play. Nine of 10 targets were caught for 119 yards. And you could see the peril he was putting those Jets defenders in because if you play him tight, he can beat you with that quickness. And if you play off, he's going to just attack leverage and make contested catches when you drive on the football. So it's a tough matchup. And that brings us back to the safety distribution. Seems like a good opportunity here for me to watch Javon Holland cover the deep portion of the field and load up with a second, maybe even a third in big nickel packages or dime packages with your third safety on the field down close to the line of scrimmage. Now, with Ridley back, seems like it might be a good time to let Xavier Howard travel, provided that he plays in the game. He was limited in practice on Wednesday. But if he travels with Ridley, that guy's a technician and he'll get his because the Falcons will not shy away from targeting him, and you know how I feel about targeting X double-digit times in a game. I mean, that's 10-plus times you're risking a turnover with the best ball hawk in the National Football League. Good on good. Let's see who's good is better. And Ridley does go inside to the slot 20% of the time, so it's not a Buccaneers situation where Antonio Brown can kick in, you know, 30 40 50% of the time inside. He can, but he doesn't do it that often. And that's where I think you have to consider the press trail with a cap, a double team technique on Ridley when he goes inside. Pitts, however, is 49% from the slot. So the idea of doubling there makes sense too on both those looks, whether it's Pitts or Ridley. Otherwise, if Byron Jones is back, that could be a good matchup with Russell Gage, who's also questionable to come back for this game, I believe. He quietly has had a pretty good year and he's a pretty good receiver, I should say, in his own right. So this is a good on good type of matchup here. And this number real quick to close up is crazy to me. The Corderell Patterson's A dot average depth of target is 3.8 yards and he averages 3.93 yards per route run. That's like almost top in the National Football League with one of the lowest A dots. Also averages 7.8 yards after the catch on average. Watch out for that guy. Then we go into the trenches. The Atlanta offensive line versus the Dolphins defensive line. And their pressure numbers allowed are as such. Jake Matthews, six pressures, one QB hit, no sacks. Chris Lindstrom, the exact same. Six pressures, one hit, no sacks. Matt Hennessy, the former Temple Al, uh, who had a really good senior bowl a couple years back. 12 pressures allowed, one sack allowed. Then the right side, things get a little bit more dicey. Jalen Mayfield, the rookie. 20 pressures, four sacks, nine hits allowed. And Caleb McGarry, the former UW Husky, go Cougs, baby. 14 pressures, two sacks, and four hits. They really hit on the left side of this offensive line. It was a bit of a slow burn for them, but both Matthews and Lindstrom have developed into really, really good players on that left side. And Hennessy, I think, is coming on too. Now, 
You'll notice the other two players were also high draft picks. All five of these guys were, in fact. I think Mayfield at pick 68 this past season is the lowest of the bunch. But they are not having as much success on that right side this season with a combined 34 pressures allowed off that right side of the offensive line. So I look at some of the matchups here. We talk all the time about Emmanuel Ogba's hands, right? The heavy hands, the cross chop, the ability to get that tackle upfield, swipe the hands down corner and get to the quarterback when you flatten that thing. And that's where I think Caleb McGarry has had some struggles on tape this year. So I'm very intrigued to see how they approach Emmanuel Ogba and if he can go ahead and take over this game off that right side. It's the same deal inside to the position next to him. And we talked about Christian Wilkins' hands on the podcast this week. I swear he's he's faster and better with the hands this year. It's, it's produced more production for Christian Wilkins. But that paired with the quickness off the football I like them a lot as a tandem in the rush game this week, especially if you can run some games off that side and kind of mix things up. But just using both those guys as quickness, get off lateral agility and heavy hands could have a good impact off the right side of the Falcons offensive line. And Mayfield, just to kind of look at some of the guys they've played against this year, he had his hands full with the Eagles early in the season and Fletcher Cox. And a couple of weeks ago against Washington and Jonathan Allen, two of the better interior guys in the league. And his best game was against an interior Giants defensive line that has a guy like Dexter Lawrence, who's more size and power than he has quickness and speed. So I think Wilkins is a good matchup there. And then McGarry struggles with John Franklin Myers of the Jets and Montez Sweat of the football team, uh, both bigger, heavier-handed guys like Emmanuel Ogba. Then finally, our last matchup on that side of the football, the Falcons running backs versus the Dolphins linebackers. Mike Davis is an absolute bowling ball who offers production in the passing game. It's a pretty weird dichotomy there as far as he goes. He averages like 3.3 yards per carry, but he's also forced 16 missed tackles on the season. The challenge here, I think, is going to be those 21 personnel packages. And granted, it's like 10 snaps a game at most, but it tests your different packages and what you might roll with from a personnel perspective. And that's where Matt Ryan can kind of get you to either get too many men on the field. Maybe you get misaligned. That's where he really goes after you with his understanding and knowledge of the game. So you have to be careful there. But I think Jerome Baker, and not like he ever leaves the field anyway, could have a big role because of what they can do with Patterson. But the other linebacker reps, I think will be interesting to see how they divulge those. Do you want to load up and stop the run? More Landon Roberts style of game? Are you more concerned with the passing game? More of a Uh, Sam Egglevon type of role as well. So how they decide that will be intriguing in this game. Some offensive notes for the Falcons. They run 11 personnel 28% of the time, but 69% success rate on the pass. Nice for them. 31% success rate on the running game. Uh, Out of 12 personnel, 37% of the time in that package. So you get a lot of pits, a lot of Hayden Hurst there as well. Only team higher is the Miami Dolphins, but they have a 70, 70% success rate in the pass and a 34% success rate in the running game. Out of 21 personnel, they run that 12% of the time. Think Patterson and Davis together. 56% pass rate success and 46% run rate success. So what does that tell you? This team's a passing team. First, pass first all the way. And it's really been that way since Shanahan left back in 2017. On the other side of the football, Dolphins quarterback and the Atlanta safeties. And off his first game back in which I thought he was very good. Actually, you know what? Why don't we go ahead now and hear from Dolphins co-offensive coordinator George Godsey, who assessed Tua Tungavailoa's first game back from the rib injury that had him on injury reserve this last week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, I thought that for a guy that had you know quite a bit of time off and, uh, you know, came out firing, uh, we had a couple penalties that, you know, we were able to overcome. 
in the first series and uh, to score a touchdown. I thought it was an impressive drive, to be honest. Um, yeah, like I said, they're coming off of an injury and not really being able to practice how he wanted to. I thought it was a credit to him and, and as far as you know his his preparation. And uh, you know, there's another drive during the during the game where. You know, we had turn uh, had a turnover. They got the ball. We stopped them, and you know, had a really impressive touchdown drive. Um, you know, over 90 yards. So, th- those two drives are really impressive. Um, you know, from our perspective, and uh, like I said, he was able to overcome some some uh, negative plays offensively, or you know, and convert third downs, which is you know that that's what the quarterback position is about. So, um, we're going to use those as as far as uh, things to build on. Because um, you know, the more drives we have like that, obviously the, the better off we'll overall be. And Tua also earned the admiration of ESPN analyst Dan Orlovsky, who said that he charted Tua with four big-time reaction throws under pressure, three great crossers, four awesome tight window throws, and they'll need it again to try to match Matt Ryan in that explosive Atlanta offense. As far as the Atlanta safeties go, Eric Harris and Duran Harmon are their primary safeties, a pair of vets who are difficult to fool, especially Harmon. They will operate in three safety looks quite frequently. Jalen Hawkins has played 40% of their snaps, and I thought Tua did a fantastic job in his first game back of manipulating the Jaguars' safeties, even in the face of pressure. Again, 20 pressures and no sacks allowed in that game. And that'll be the challenge here again for Tua to repeat that success. And one thing I think we'd all love to see is to just remove that one mistake that has hit Tua in each of his first two starts here this season, or two of the full games played, I should say. The two picks that take away those two plays and Tua has... Ratings well north of 100 and certainly helps evaluate or elevate all the other good plays he has made so far in those two full games. Now, where Tua needs the complementary area of the game to kick in, the Dolphins receivers and tight ends against the uh, cornerbacks of the Atlanta Falcons. Devontae Parker was back at practice. Adam Shaheen and Preston Williams, too. All three of them limited on Wednesday, but they were out there for the walkthrough. So it could be a nice full compliment for Tua this weekend. Sands Fuller, obviously, who remains on injured reserve for at least one more week. But last Sunday, we saw 22 targets to the combination of Waddle and Gesicki. And tight ends in general saw 19 combined targets in that game. We know the Dolphins run more 12 personnel than anybody else in the NFL, and that was heavily featured with Waddle and Hollins as the guys in that grouping. Four catches on five targets for 61 yards for Hollins, by the way. And so now as Mac continues to show some of the stuff that I thought stood out in camp that really impressed us this August and the possible inclusion of Devontae and Preston, Tua suddenly has some of the trees to throw the football to on the outside not to mention Mike Gesicki, who continues to go off this season. But you paired that with the skill set of Waddle. We saw Albert Wilson get targeted a few times and have his uh, first few catches or his second, third, fourth catch of the season. Miami had a decent balance of size and speed on the roster at this point. And the reason I mention this is because, well, we always say that styles make fights, right? And we always look at the tail of the tape in our matchups here. And Atlanta's three top snap takers at cornerback, Fabian Monroe, or Moreau rather, excuse me, six foot tall, 204 pounds. AJ Terrell, six foot one, 195. Isaiah Oliver, six foot 201. So some big dudes out there. And Moreau does have the lone Falcons interception this season. He's been targeted the most 24 times. Terrell on 151 coverage snaps has allowed just six completions on 16 targets for 42 yards. And Isaiah Oliver, who primarily plays in the slot, nine completions on 15 targets for 81 yards. And when you look at some of their matchups, 
I always like to go back and see which teams gave that group of players fits. And it should be noted they don't match up or travel. Like every game you see on their chart, every player has reps against three, four, five, even six players in the passing options. But the WFT game is an interesting study because they had a monster passing day with their stable of burners. And the one I'm intrigued by is AJ Terrell. He's been in and out of the lineup this year, but the production's very good. He's got a tremendous pedigree as far as his prospects coming out as a college player. I'll be interested to see how Miami plays this. We saw the Jags play tons of zone in that game last week, and I love the way Tua was able to distribute the football and get guys in the soft spots of those zones. But thinking about when you get behind that second layer with Mike Gasicki on those crossers, Waddle in all capacities. You guys know how I feel about his game. He can do whatever he, whatever in my opinion. And then you get Parker and Williams, maybe back with Mac Hollins. They could be able to work the middle of the field with some of the space that's created by those two primary inside guys in Waddle and Gasicki. Now, as far as Dolphins running backs on Falcons linebackers, the coverage numbers on the ATL linebackers have not been as kind. And since that's where Miami have been kind of going all year, it's really our matchup of the game on this side of the ball. PFF has Deion Jones and Foisad Olukun. <laughs> There's no way I pronounced that right. With a combined 35 receptions allowed on 39 targets for 406 yards and three touchdown passes. Now again, they play lots of zone coverage. So those can be over routes behind them like we saw from Mike last week. They can be shallow crossers that wind up getting out the gate. They can be a lot of things and you're going to attribute the closest defender for the catch allowed and the yardage allowed. So it's not always, you know, everything we talk about here requires context. It's not always on those guys, but that's where the opposition has attacked them. And that'll be our number one key of the game. Spoiler alert. And then just how about some general balance for Miami offensively? Last in the league in rushing, and some of that certainly has to do with playing catch-up in so many games this year, but maybe some Savan Ahmed in the passing game and utilizing what he offers as a receiver. We saw same, the same with that in terms of Miles Gaskin a couple weeks ago with the big game against Tampa Bay. And for those guys to get going, Miami offensive line versus Atlanta defensive line is a key matchup here. Dante Fowler is a guy you have to pay attention to, although he missed practice on Wednesday with a knee injury. But especially when he lines up to the offense's right side, that's where he's been most productive this season. 13 total pressures and nine run stops from that spot. He's long, athletic, and has a tremendous blend, uh, blend, bend and flatten skill set to get on the upfield shoulder, turn that corner and get to your quarterback and really force him to get off that spot and step up in the pocket. And that's where you might meet Grady Jarrett, who's the guy that stirs the drink on that defense. He's next with 11 pressures on this team. Then there's a big drop-off. The most... The next most pressures is, man, these names are going to kill me on this podcast. Here we go. Uh, 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 Adetanko Agunji at JJ. <laughs> We're keeping it, baby. He's got seven pressures, and then three players have six pressures. They've just really struggled to generate pressures this year in general. So I'll be curious to see how Miami attacks them. Do you go more empty, fewer max protection calls, and spread them out and test the depth of that secondary? Or do you really try to ensure you keep two upright help on most on the most accomplished pass rushers they have to offer there in Dante Fowler and Grady Jarrett? We saw Malcolm Brown last week, a line up, basically mugged up into the A-gap like we see linebackers do on the other side offensively to just kind of get an extra body in there. And it was successful. Maybe you do that with Grady Jarrett again this week. Either way, I would say you have to make sure you give those guys some attention, Jarrett and Dante Fowler. 
As far as the Falcons' defensive notes, their 24% blitz rate is 18th highest in the National Football League. Their 7.6 A dot allowed, or teams running average depth of target at 7.6, is the 24th fewest. So they play, you know, take underneath stuff. We're not going to get beat deep. They allow the 8th fewest yak yards in the National Football League. They're a good tackling team. Fourth fewest missed tackles in the NFL. And their 21.1% pressure rate is 29th. So, Again, chicken and egg. Like, do you want to really make sure you have your quarterback upright, or do you want to spread out that offense or that defense rather and go after them in the secondary? On special teams, DVO ranks. Atlanta's dead last, 32nd in DVOA special teams. Miami improved after last week. They're up to 23rd now. And Youngway Koo is 7 for 7 this year and 10 for 10 on extra points. He's off to a tremendous start after a fantastic 2020 season. And their punter, uh, averages 45.5 yards per punt. I do not know how to pronounce his name either. Not even going to try. But they alternate their return men and have averaged just 6.7 yards per punt return this season. And they have an unusual amount of kickoff returns. 15 total. That, that was surprising to me. And they average 19.2 yards per return on those kickoffs. Maybe some opportunities there for Jason Sanders to pooch one and pin them deep. My three keys to the game continue to involve Mike Gesicki and the tight ends. We talked about the linebacker coverage in this game, the fact they play a lot of zones, getting the ball out quick, always a key to this offense. Stay balanced and patient on offense. Take what they give you. Take those underneath passes and try to soften up that way. Stay on the field, stay on schedule, dominate T.O.P. That can go a long way towards victory, especially in the Miami Heat. It's still hot down here in October. Speaking of the Heat, go Heat tonight, baby. Season open. Let's go. Number three, contain Pitts, Ridley, and Patterson. If you can take out two of three of them, that's a pretty big victory there. So that's the focus here, trying to make get a handle on those three players. The Dolphins will win this game if they clean up the mistakes offensively. The Falcons have played that bend but don't break style, and it helps them limit explosive plays. But opposing offenses have taken the underneath stuff up and down the field to produce the 31st-ranked scoring defense in the National Football League. But dropping passes, missing throws... Missing lanes in the running game, penalties, those are the kind of things you can't do against a defense like this. It will severely hamper your ability to stay on schedule. Staying sharp and offensive success should follow if you do stay sharp. The Falcons will win if they get those weapons going. It's a pick-your-poison type of deal here for Miami, but if they can't find a way to contain Kyle Pitts, Cal- uh, Calvin Ridley, and Cordarrelle Patterson, not going to be a good day for the Dolphins. So there you go. As far as Thursday night football goes, we have another week of picks to make here. I'm taking the Broncos over the Browns. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I was not prepared to make that pick, but without Baker Mayfield, without Kareem Hunt, without Nick Chubb, Jarvis Landry's banged up, Odell Beckham's banged up, both tackles are questionable to play. You know, Von Miller had a great comment pregame on his Tuesday media where he said, I don't know who's going to play tackle against me. Whoever it is, I'm going to kill him. That was a great comment. So give me the Broncos, give me Von Miller, and go ahead and just start me. We'll have the rest of the picks tomorrow, but another solid week coming into this one. I picked the Bengals to lose to the Lions. That was dumb. I'll wear that one. I did not expect to lose the Monday night game. So 10-4 and brings us to 65-29 and on the season, just a hair under 70. We're shooting for 75%. But In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast. They had James McKnight this week. Also check out our post-game show on 560 WQAM, one of the best things we do here on the podcast network, I believe. And check out the YouTube channel for the media availabilities. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. And Caroline... You guessed it, daddy's coming home.